Hey, hey, today we talk about how to engage our kids' emotions, and David kicks us off with his own emotional rant. Welcome to the Grown Up With Kids podcast. <laughs> hey. Hey, Rachel. How you doing? I almost interrupted you on your fancy intro. Uh, you did interrupt me. I know. And I will hold it against you for the years. For the years. For the years. At least till the end of this year, right? Yeah. We, uh, we have a common fight about me keeping points. <laughs> yes, we, we do. And uh, You do keep points. Can we, we do acknowledge that? Is that right? I try not to. <laughs> I'm working on it. Yeah. Um, Keeping points like you are better than me. Because so I did get these 17 things right. for you. And so now so I get now a get win. out of trouble jail card or something. <laughs> <laughs> good. <laughs> that's, that's all you got on that. Yeah. All are right. you keeping points right now? No. No. Oh, good. Yeah. Okay. I never know. Well, I'm way behind on points this week. You've been doing everything. Like oh, everything around nice. the house, getting ready for the holidays, taking care of our kids' stuff, getting meetings scheduled, doctor's oh, appointments. Thanks. You've been like killing it, and I've just gone to work and played with spreadsheets. You know, I think it's a funny thing. So I recently quit um, my part-time job, and I think that I have this like internal pressure to feel like I need to like earn my keep around the house. And so... I think that's probably beneficial, and that's probably why you're feeling that this week, because I have that internal pressure. Um, yeah. It might not be. Well, I think you keep points with yourself, and you always feel like you're losing, which is why when <laughs> yes. I you know, allude to some sort of point, made-up point system in my head, yeah, uh, it really angers you for good reason. Yes, yeah, because I don't like to lose. You um, don't like to lose. I am painfully competitive. And you don't like to be blamed. And also you feel true. Blamed. Yeah. Also true. So speaking of things that are angering, can I tell you something? Tell me. I I love rants. A little mini rant. Is it going to be funny? That's the question. I don't know. (laughs) I really don't. So we went to a meeting recently, um, and we don't need to go into the details of what it was, but it was essentially like learning about potentially uh, increasing our family size at some point, right? Right. And so it was an info session, went through all this information, but this one thing like drove me nuts. It's <laughs> there kind was of a only pet one thing f- from that meeting. Yes, it was <laughs> this like there were several different jokes about dads in the room slowing down the process because they're not ready. Ugh. And I remember this one before the we had kids, of, like growing their family. Yeah, or, yeah. And so it's just like ah, I remember this one before we got pregnant. Like it's and it's meant to be funny and I don't know, lighten the mood. But it's like. It's built on this assumption either that women are manipulating their husbands into doing what they want and or men don't want to have families or don't like their kids. Yes. It It like reiterates this huge lie, like this huge like cultural idea that like men are totally disengaged. Men don't want to be with their kids. Men want to get away from their wives, which is true in some cases. Don't get me wrong. However, I dare bet that the majority of men are in it. Like, they are engaged. They're engaged with their jobs. They're engaged with their wives. And they may not be doing it how their wives expect. And the wives may not be engaged in the way the husbands expect. But there's this, like, perpetual, like, 
joke that is not even funny. No. Not funny. Yeah, it's not even told in a funny way, which also angers us. But he thought he was funny. funny. That was the funny thing about the presenter. He thought he was funny, and so that was funny. It really reminds me of... Maybe we think we're funny and we're not. (laughs) Well, we know we're not as funny as we (laughs) think we are. That's true. (laughs) That is absolutely true. So it reminds me of watching shows on the Disney Channel. You know, they have all these shows, and they're all focused on the kids, and... And the parents are bumbling idiots. Parents are always bumbling idiots. And it's funny and it's good for a laugh if you're eight, I guess, or 12. totally. But it, like, subtly makes this message about your parents are idiots and, you know, you're going to have to solve all your own problems or whatever it's, like, telling you, even though it's a joke. And it was, it's the same sort of thing. And I find it very common in certain groups of people where it's like, oh, the husband, you know, doesn't want to do blah, blah, blah. And it just, ah, it just drove me nuts. I agree. So here's the voice of reason. Like, that's what we're here for, to encourage and laugh and be yes, silly. please be a voice of reason for me. <laughs> I am not reasonable right now. Well, the voice of reason is, men, if you're listening, you, I, I think you are engaged. If you're listening to a podcast about family and parenting and discussions about this, hey, you're great. Good and it job. is manly and masculine to be engaged with your wife and engaged with your kids yes. and care about them and want to grow your family and all those things. Like yeah. that is the height of masculinity, not being disengaged and wanting to watch football by yourself and being dragged around by your wife. Another thing, totally unrelated. That and I another hate, thing. Do you I need like a gavel or the, something? I hate the phrase honey-do list. <laughs> yes. It's so demeaningly, again, manipulative. Like you tell me. I mean, we talk about things that need to happen around our house, and right. we split them up, and we do them. Right. Like, you don't give me a list of things that I have to do because I work for you. Ah, oh, it drives me nuts. <laughs> Just drives Keep me nuts, going. Rachel. Keep going. I like this. This is nice. Um, I No, I don't have anything else. Well, I think the rest of my is life is just sunny and sun rays and Saturdays. <laughs> What's interesting is, like, you and I do have a relatively traditional setup. Like, I'm at home full-time now. Um and you go to work every day, but the but most days. Most where do you go other times? <laughs> Are you like drinking coffee? I'm trying to get away from my wife. <laughs> Gotta go drink some beer. She's dragging me around by the hair. Um, but like you can have a traditional setup, and it does not mean in any way that I have to be like this sweet little innocent wife at home who's like not allowed to go out. And it doesn't mean that I'm dragging you around to events where I think that we need to be going and right. doing and whatever. Like. We are a partnership, like, and we decided that we are going to have this way of arranging our family right now because it works for our boys, and we feel like that's what our boys need. And for need. us, right? And it works for us right now, but it may not work in a year, and that's okay. Right. Like, and there's a really important we're, distinction. We're partners. That's yeah. what I'm trying to say. Yeah, exactly. The distinction is we're partners, and so I even said this complimentary earlier. Like, you've been doing 90% of our sort of family life Coordination right now. Let's split the difference. Eighty-five. You're doing all the family coordination, but you're not doing it against my will or behind my back, right? Or because I'm too, you know, busy to think about it. We talk about it. We make decisions, and then you know, the division of labor means you're doing X and I'm doing Y. Exactly. You know, and you definitely do more. But there were stages of our life before we had kids where I did all the grocery shopping because yeah. I love doing grocery shopping. And you love doing laundry. And I love folding laundry. So funny. Yeah. And so, but I haven't been doing it the last three weeks just because of how our life has worked out. Right. So anyway, and I don't feel any more or less masculine when I'm doing laundry and grocery shopping or when I'm not. So Right. Well, and I think that one of the important things 
the distinction is that we are partners. And so that means like when I call you and say, hey, we need to talk about this. So-and-so is having a hard time at school and we just need to make a decision. Like you need to at that point say, yes, let's talk about this. I've got eight minutes or I've got 10 minutes or whatever. Like give me a time frame. And so I'm not like nagging at you. But at the same time, like if you have things at work that are going on and you're like, hey, I just need a break. Will you tell me a funny story? Yeah. Or or, hey, let's talk about it tonight and let's set up some time because this is going to take a while. We need to process and make a decision. Exactly. But because we're partners, that's how we engage. Rather than I think that um, what a traditional setup sometimes can fall into is like, um, where you go to work and I stay at home and I do my thing and you do your thing and then we sort of just like coexist, which is a right. really huge temptation because I do think that like you would be able to make the money and I would be able to run the house. It's not a matter of capability, but we're married. Like we, we've got to talk and partner in this. Um, and so I need to support you at work. You need to support me in my work. And, um, right. and anyway, Enough ranting. I am passionate about that because I think that when people look at our family, they might say, oh, my gosh, she's probably some submissive, like, crazy wife who just stays at home <laughs> and bears children. Not true. Like, yeah. uh, I mean, I I, um, I love you, and I think I love right. you well, and you love Agreed. me and love me well. But um, traditional setup doesn't necessarily equate to a certain personality type. Or, or like a gender role. Right. Subjugation or whatever you might call right. it. Right. And like a friend of mine and I were talking, we were having coffee, and she and her husband sort of toggle when they're going to work. So whoever's career, so like his career is sort of coming to a close where he'll be able to semi-retire but get a pension. And at that point... Um, she'll go back to work full time and he will stay home with the kids. Like, so they're just figuring it out because what they've prioritized is somebody home with the kids when they get home from school. So like that's, and I think those are important discussions. Like what do we prioritize? Not the division of labor, but like, what do we prioritize and how is that going to work for our family? Yeah. Anyway. So let, thank you for letting me rant about that. Well, I love that rant. Um, That's a good one. I'll try to rant more in the future. Okay. We are going to talk <laughs> about emotions in general today. Not in general, but our kids' emotions. Yes. Um, Their rants. So this is actually a uh, listener question we got via our website. Ooh, yay. Yeah, so you can go to our website. What is that, Rachel? www.growingupwithkidspodcast.com or you can visit our Facebook page or visit us on Instagram. We're engaging in a couple different areas. I'm figuring out how to do the tweets, but... The Twitters? Yeah, I'm not super great at the tweets. Yeah, that's okay. So, yeah, we have stuff on all those places, but on our website, there's a connect button, and you can submit questions. You can obviously tweet at us or send a question via Instagram or Facebook as well if you wanted to. Or you can start a conversation on a Facebook page and um, see what the community of listeners is saying. Yeah. That's always fun. So this question is um, sort of a three-parter. Um, talk about navigating your kids' emotions or non-emotions. Interesting distinction there. As kids are very, very different, um, yeah. even in the same household. Absolutely. How difficult it can be with each child. So that's kind of the second part. And then what it looks like as a, for us as parents to be engaged but not enmeshed. Mm-hmm. So I think there's a lot to unpack here. Um, and let's dive into that. I think the first thing is to just talk about the fact that our kids have really big emotions. Um, yeah. 
and they look different for us. We have, you know, three boys and each boy expresses his emotions differently, different sizes, different things set him off. Um, but underlying all that is their emotions are good, right? Mm, yeah. I, the temptation for me is to see them being emotional as a flaw, not because they're boys. Um, it's right. not a gender thing. Just like any kids, if we had uh, any kids, we have feeling like, oh, you being so emotional is because you're not in control. Right. Um, or even worse, maybe, is seeing it just as an inconvenience for me. Yeah. Like, oh, now you're really emotional and I got to deal with this. Yeah, and I, I have a different take. It was really evident to me when you were out of town for a weekend, um, like one or two weeks ago, I realized that when our kids have negative emotions, I internalize that as them being disappointed in me. And so I feel like like a huge failure. I just right. feel like I cannot make them happy. No one is excited about being with mom. They want dad to come home, blah, blah, blah. But I feel like a huge disappointment. And that is, that's definitely my struggle with their emotions, especially with their negative emotions. Right. Yeah. Yeah, you don't struggle with their positive emotions. No, I love their positive emotions. <laughs> we could get a little more of those. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I, I think just normalizing that they are kids and kids should have emotions. They don't have the self-control of a 40-year-old adult, right? Right. And so when they're acting in a way that seems disproportionate to the situation to us, I think the first thing I have to do is to check kind of my attitude and my expectations of them yeah. and instead of being like well is this appropriate amount of emotion or not just engage with the emotion and engage with them more importantly you know see what they're feeling and experiencing and start diving into that uh, as opposed to trying to squelch it or appease it or whatever the right word is yeah. like that's my natural Temptation is just, I want to get this emotion down. Similar to what you're saying. Wrap it up, baby. You feel disappointed, and I feel maybe at risk when there's a lot of emotion around me. And so I'm like, oh, how do I calm this down as fast as possible? But that's not the best attitude, obviously. It's not the best Right, and I think what happens, like you talked about when, like we can't treat them like they're young adults or that they're like middle-aged men or women, like 40 or 45 and the expectation is that when you're 40 or 45 that you do have this self-regulation and this ability to handle emotions and let them come out appropriately. But we have And that all, is the goal long that term. That is the goal. And we have all met the adults who don't have that skill set. And I think that skill set is built when they're really young. And so by not treating them as if they're 40 or 45 when they're children, you're doing a, a tremendous service to allow them to be children at the appropriate time. And then allow them to feel those things so that when they are 40 or 45, they they have that out of their system. Like, yeah. they don't need to continue to act like a child. They are matured into handling their emotions. Does yeah. that make sense? Like, I, I makes feel... Makes sense to me. Yeah. Good, good work. Well, thank you. Thank <laughs> you. I mean, what I'm really trying to say is I want kids to feel appropriate kid emotion, but that is hard because kid emotion doesn't match how I think it should be handled. Right, and it's hard on both sides because sometimes uh, our kids or one or two of them uh, might have way less emotion than you would like or I would like. Yes. As if they're just kind of not allowing themselves to either feel something or not allowing their feelings to come out. Yeah. And then then there's the other extreme, which is they have this really big reaction to something that seems out of whack. Yes, exactly. And one of the mistakes I think 
that can be made is that you have a really compliant kid who seems very quiet and easy, um, but they don't really express a ton of emotion. And so digging into that a little bit, I think, is really helpful. Um, and we have a kid like that who you, who's he's very compliant. Um, he's relatively easy. He's makes probably good decisions. Um, an internal processor. It's a little early to tell, but that yes. seems to be how he wor- operates. And yeah. so he doesn't need to get things out as much. Exactly. Yeah. But what we have found, and even when we ask him, like we like he we can tell when he's visibly sad or something's going on. Um, I think this moves into the question about how to handle negative emotions, like or non-emotions. Sorry, non-emotions. Like you can tell when there's something wrong, but it's like almost impossible to even scratch the surface to get mm-hmm. underneath it. So, what's one thing you've done? You came up with a kind of a good process to to work on that with him. So we have. Um, I've limited the conversation to a yes-no answer. So I I ask him if I can just ask yes or no questions um, to start digging under. So that does a couple of things. Like I think it starts to, like, well, I think it's normal for kids to have the emotions but not be able to name them or talk about them. And so they might feel these big things, and if they're an internal processor, they're not going to come out. So they need to, like, work that muscle a bit in a really safe place. Um, And some of those, I mean, he may have the same fear that I do, that it is a disappointment to have these these negative feelings, or it might be risky for him to say that, or he may not have all the words together or the thoughts together, and so it feels scary to say something that's unfinished or incomplete. And so by giving the boundary of only answering yes or no, you're giving the answer already, so it's a very, very safe way to start digging under, and you start modeling um, and, and sort of like teaching them how to start processing through the emotions. So it'll, it'll go something like, I'll say, can I ask you yes or no questions? And he'll sort of nod. Um, and again, will not speak and will barely show an emotion. And so I'll just start with, do you feel happy? And usually the answer is no. Do you feel sad sometimes? And so we just kind of like keep going deeper and deeper, but we start with that like inner, circle like those really basic things happy sad excited whatever and then we get into like oh it seems like you're frustrated is that accurate oh is there something going on at home is there something going on at school so you kind of go like the who what when where why um for them so they start to flex their muscle and warm up and then eventually they start to discuss it sometimes and sometimes they don't I have had to learn to be okay with them only landing in the yes no area but at least mm-hmm. we're talking, you know? At right. least there's some exchange, and I can let them know, hey, I see you and I'm with you. This sounds really hard. Is that accurate? Yes. Yep. Do you want to stop talking? Yes. That's usually how we end it. And then I can just say, "That's I can respect that, but thank right. you for sharing. Yeah. I think you identified yeah. a few things <laughs> that um, are helpful. So one, they often don't have the skills um, or the words to identify what they're feeling or what's underneath those feelings. And so the yes, no, by asking them questions kind of provides words and they can either say yes, yeah, that's right, or no, it's not right. And then you go a different direction. And then two, I think it takes a lot of the fear of if I just have to say this is how I feel into kind of an empty conversation that's just started. That does feel a lot scarier, especially if you're the child in the relationship, especially if you don't have the experience and kind of the skill set to do that. And I think 
um, that, like you said, it allows you to kind of start going down this conversation path. And sometimes that leads to them being able to talk more now that you've warmed it up. And then the last thing I would say is that even if it never gets past the yes, no, you're communicating a certain level of interest and pursuit of them that I think they internalize. Like my mom and dad don't just take my shutting the door on them and just walk away and I'm left by myself. They at least pursue kind of walking into it with me, even if I'm not really giving them very much. And I think that's good because that's, to me, that's the most important thing, whether our kids are um, expressing big emotions or just feeling emotions and we can tell and they're not expressing them, yeah. is to connect with them. Yes. Uh, and I've been really influenced recently by a book I'm in the middle of uh, called No Drama Discipline, which I recommend. Uh, and it talks a lot about before we discipline or before we engage with our children when they're in an emotional state to really connect with them. That's mm-hmm. the number one step. Um, because I think it's so important, and we were talking about earlier, the goal isn't to placate them and get rid of the emotion, and the goal isn't necessarily to fix it, to say, oh, you feel sad about X, let me figure out how to fix X. Right. Um, Because you do want them to process feelings and learn how to deal with disappointment or learn how to deal with conflict in relationships or whatever might be getting down. Or sometimes they're mad at us because we made a decision, and they need to sit in that, and that's okay. Like We need to own that we made a decision that was a no, and they'll survive. And I think that like you can... I mean, I think you can guide them into saying, do you have a problem solved for this? Like, or do you want some help solving this problem? And they can continue with the yes, no. Like, it it just slows the whole conversation down. And I think it works in the reverse also with an overly emotional child. Um, It can slow them down and start narrowing what they might really be feeling Mm -hmm. um, without them having to tell these huge, long, elaborate stories to get to it. Right. They might need they they might need that verbal processing, but if you can make a game out of it and say like, can we play yes no because you're going so fast, I just can't keep up. Right. Can I just ask you yes no questions so we can get to what's really going on? Um, it's sort of like, not to say that time condensing is the purpose of parenting, but it does help if like one of our kids does emote in a big big way, and if I can pull us back and say, hey, let's make a game like. Let me ask you yes or no questions. He pauses to think about what he's actually feeling. Whereas if he's just verbalizing, it's like whiplash. I have a friend who's like, I just went through emotional whiplash with my daughter and I feel exhausted. And so if we can pull that back and start asking more pointed questions to understand and help them understand what they're feeling so that they don't need to emotionally like lash everybody around, around them. Um, I think that's also a helpful tool. Yeah. I mean, you're essentially coaching in two different ways. In one side, you're coaching how to draw out what people, what the person really feels and thinks. Yes. And the other side, you're sort of coaching how to organize all these things that they want to say and the big feelings they have into what's really going on. And in both cases, what you're trying to do is over time, develop those skills in them that they can manage their emotions, they can understand why they feel happy, sad, hurt, angry, whatever, and they can then communicate those things to the people yes. that need to be, it needs to be communicated, exactly. which right now is us as their parents, but eventually might be their friends or their teachers or their roommates or their spouses, and right. then eventually their kids. Right, so we're modeling and we're helping them flex those muscles that they need practice in, and it's a game. I mean, like, you can make it a fun game. If, if your child doesn't want to verbalize, like, 
say, if you stand toward me, that means a yes. And if you stand away from me, that means a no. Or yeah. like get a paper plate. Blink twice. Yeah. Like if you can make a game out of it, um, sometimes kids will just engage a little bit easier and then you get laughing and it, it, it softens everything a bit. And it takes a lot of pressure off of the parent as well to try yeah. to like, I, I think that's where we get to like when, when I'm enmeshed in my kids' emotions, usually what's going on is that they have so much emotion, things are going so quickly, or they're not expressing anything, and I have identified with them. Like, I have, I have said, this is a reflection on me. Um, in some yeah. weird way, along the way, I don't know how, but usually when things go south, it's because I'm finding my identity and how they're communicating. Right. Um, but if I can pull back and say, let's play a game, like, if I, if I have a tool that separates us into parent and child, it's much easier to um, keep my emotions in check and my own identity in check and be solidified um, in order to really serve them well and coach them well. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. I think that separation of identity is so critical. I remember when our kids were younger in particular, I had this vision in my head um, this totally wrong vision in my head that what I wanted if we were out in public or what have you and our kids had an emotional moment for me to almost be able to just like look at them, say three words and for them to get it under control. Yes. And it's a super terrible actually thing, but it, it made me feel like, oh, that's what a good father, like I have such respect from them and they know like, and we have such good communication that I don't even have to, like, engage with them. I just tell them to stop crying, I and they stop crying. I tell them what to do. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, but that's me putting my identity as a father on them and making mm. them carry that mm-hmm. instead of saying, I'm a father, and I have an identity of that, and I'm good at it, and I'm engaging, and they're kids and they have their own identity and they're doing pretty well at that Uh, and we're both going to mess up and sometimes that's going to lead to uh, big emotions in public or Mm -hmm. in private and the goal isn't again to not let anyone see that and think oh their kids are so well behaved all the time like Mm -hmm. that's that's just not true and that's not that's essentially teaching my kids either implicitly or explicitly don't be yourself and don't let people see what you really want and what you really feel. Mm, and I think yeah. you've been really good at helping me both in my life and as a father with our kids to say, no, we need to learn. I need to, cause I'm not good at this. Um, and our kids need to learn how to communicate what they want and what they feel. Right. We're working through how to do that appropriately um, right. as they mature. But the, you know, the anecdote antidote, excuse me, to, being too emotional is not don't let anyone know how you feel, <laughs> right? <laughs> right? And that that's right. sort of a message that I've internalized in my life, and it's really not a healthy one. And so I'm, I'm glad that you're helping me unwind that, and you're helping me unwind that in our boys as well. All right. Well, we I thought we were going to go short, and we did not. We didn't. Um, but we had a great time. This was really interesting. I enjoyed yeah. it. I love to hear from other people how they – experience and how they deal with the emotions of their kids, how they engage with them um, and and or other questions that you have. So please submit those. But with that, let's go to the stat of the week. Perfect.
Rachel. Hey. It's about time that I came up with a stat of the week that you would be interested in. <laughs> like, <laughs> Fabulous. I, I think this is one of your favorite parts of Thanksgiving, and it is the week of Thanksgiving, right? It's not the turkey. It's not the, no. No one's excited about We're going to get to that. Turkey. Actually, I found a fact about that that's not the stat of the week, but okay. I want to talk about Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. Okay, which you yeah. you enjoy. Yep. What, this is not the stat. I enjoyed Macy's. What's your favorite part of the parade? Um, balloons, the singing. The, the singing, like all the mm-hmm. performing. And I love the um, artists that come out. It's kind of how I learn what's cool and hip. <laughs> <laughs> like once a year I engage with yeah. something that's cool and hip because I don't know how to do the Twitter. And so, um, yeah. so I have to do something. Yeah. Macy's Day Parade is it. That might have been the oldest woman thing you've ever said. <laughs> Thinking that what happens at the Macy's Day Parade is what's cool in him. I know. And uh, here I'm sitting in like pajamas and like I am an old lady now. Wow. I wear glasses. You Ugh, look great in glasses. It's fine. My hair is getting darker. I'm a big fan. Uh, we can talk about that later. But anyway, Macy's Day Parade. Do you know what year was the first Macy's Day Parade? Um, Man, I'm guessing like early 1900s. So I'm going to say like 19, let's go with 1918. Mm. How about that? Pretty good. Really? Yeah, within really s- within six years, nineteen twenty four. I never get remotely close on these. I feel so proud of myself. Well, this is your this is your category right here. Macy's. Um, <laughs> and it was actually called the Macy's Christmas Day Parade, even though it was held on Thanksgiving. Oh, that's weird. Why'd they do that? Because uh, everybody wants I, to skip Thanksgiving. Well, I think it was like, you know how like Santa Claus is always at the end. So it's like you're what? you're welcoming at the end of the parade. He's the last person. Oh, it's like you're welcoming okay. in Christmas. I guess. Yeah, that's I don't true. Know. That's true. Because Thanksgiving is a dumb holiday, and turkey stinks. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I like Thanksgiving a lot. It was okay. So what year was it? Nineteen twenty what? Nineteen twenty four was the first one. Wow. So the current Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade route. Do you have any guess how many miles it is? Three. Just shy of three, two point really? six five. Yeah. Oh man. Good work. That was you just, like with authority. Thank like you, you didn't See, even think about it. When we talk about things that I might know about, it's helpful. Yeah. So. What do you uh, wait? I want to hear what your favorite part of the Macy's Day Parade is. Oh, I actually don't like it that much. I wait, always think what? I'm going to like it. <laughs> wait. <laughs> and wait, then we turn it on. Wait a minute. And it's super boring. <laughs> no. Really. Yeah, I mean, you got like the hokey. Here's my favorite thing about the Macy's Day Parade is yeah. that Fraser episode when he is like the <laughs> parade guy for the Seattle version. Oh That's my, my gosh. favorite thing. Oh my gosh. That's a great episode. No, it's are like you watch it's it? hokey, like the Today Show or whatever yes. the talk shows oh, are. Yes, it's lovely. And it's super slow. And then it's performances of show tunes. And you know, I love a good show tune. Yeah. But I don't love a lip-synced show tune in the freezing cold. Like, it doesn't sound right. It doesn't sound good. It's oh, just weird. Yeah, I love it. And, I, d- I mean, the floats are, c- are not floats. What are the what are the things? In- balloons? Is that what they're called? No, I think that they're... What are they? Balloon animals? Float- <laughs> <laughs> balloon animals? Like I don't think that's it. Blown up balloon animals? Uh, but anyway, I think those are kind of fun. Well, I think they're actually floats. Like, maybe that's what the actual float was. And then they had to... Yeah. Note, like, when you do, like, a yeah, little town right. parade, you couldn't actually do yeah. it. And so you did, like... Like when you went to Minnesota? pickup. You, like, when I went to Minnesota for the Turkey King's Day, yes. Okay, so one last stat question for you. There are 8,000 people, according to WalletHub. That's where all these stats are coming from. We'll post the infographic. Who participate in the parade. So 3.5 million people in New York go to it. 
Okay. Um, a lot more. 50 million people estimated watch it. 8,000 people involved. How many of those people do you think are clowns, according to this infographic? No way. Um, way too many. Really? Throw out a number. I don't know, like a thousand? It is a thousand. No way. One eighth <laughs> of them infograph- are clowns? And then 1,200 of them are dancers and cheerleaders, which makes way more sense to me. Yes, but A clowns. thousand clowns, Do Rachel? you think they have like a clown conference like that week in, in New York uh, where they all... Do, we got to do some research on we that. We do. I'm curious if they're like professional clowns or are they people who like dream of being clowns? They dress up and they're like, I'm going to be a clown in the Macy's Day Parade. I'm sure they're predominantly professional, but I don't know how big the ranks of professional clowns are. What like, does it really take to become a professional clown? You're getting at way over my skis. I don't know. Man, I'm curious about this clown business. <laughs> I didn't know that would, would touch such a chord. I mean, I'm just curious, oh, like, what training you have to go through. And, I mean, yeah. You know that we were recently at a party and we met. A, I did know that. We met a Santa. Yeah, like, that's right. He is a career Santa. and he's not his only career, though. No, it is. I think it. I just thought every every Christmas he did it. Well, he goes to conventions every like yeah, in yeah, April. Right. The next one is in Atlanta. I think we might go. So now we went from clowns to Santa Claus. Well, you're I'm not just calling saying, Santa Claus okay, a clown, so, are you? So no, no, no. I would never be so offensive. We need to do an episode on Santa Claus and how you talk to your kids about Santa. Um, okay. After it. after Thanksgiving, we'll get through Thanksgiving and then we'll discuss that. But when I met Santa, one of my kids came up. Our kids, we share them. Um, it's a partnership. We're bringing a full circle partnership. Don't rant on me. But one of our kids came up and like looked at him and was like, what? And he talked like Santa. Like he shifted from our conversation where I was asking him a million questions about being Santa. Just to be clear, he wasn't dressed in like a red suit or anything. No, but he did did have red suspenders on that had SC Uh, on them. And so he like shifted into Santa Claus mode, like as quick as you could blink. And uh, the one kid, our kid, was like, oh, my gosh. And he was like, well, what do you want for Christmas, son? And our son was like, Santa's alive. But we've never talked about Santa being real. Anyway. Yeah, we should cover that funny. later. Yeah. Um, you should have just yelled, you li- <laughs> you smell like beef and cheese. <laughs> you <laughs> sit Elf. on the throne of lies. Oh, yes. Just start quoting Elf to him. That would be awesome. All right, we got to go. But I have one more stat from this infographic that blows my mind. Okay. How many Thanksgiving greeting cards do you think are exchanged each year? No. Oh, Hallmark. Come on. Um, no, I have no idea on this one. I can't even guess. 16 million. Have you ever gotten a Thanksgiving card? No, actually, I have. Who gives Thanksgiving our cards? Our moms. Our yeah, moms. that's like a grandma thing to do. Yeah, and it's so but, great. I love getting cards. Yeah. But I it just, is funny it's that... It's not a card holiday in my mind. I don't think so. It's a purely gluttonous holiday. That's yes. Let's go get some turkey. Okay, or sounds good. beef, maybe. With cranberry sauce on top. Ugh, even worse. <laughs> All so right, good. Rachel. Thank you for working on the farm. Hey, thank you for working on the farm. And we'll talk to you soon. Check ya. Yeah.